And welcome back to the Archaeology News Weekly. I am, of course, your host, David Connolly. I have to say I'm a bit excited just now because, yes, tomorrow I am heading off to Edinburgh Airport to fly down to London and see the Ice Age Art Exhibition. I can't wait. So it's actually something I might tell you about when I return. But until then, you'll have to make do with the news. Make do with the news? How can I say such a thing? It's all, of course, been brought to you by Stone Pages and the British Archaeological Jobs and Resources website, as well as Past Horizons. Now, all these stories have been collected from various sources. And to view the details on each story, including the source, where well, you'll have to go along to the Stone Pages website at news.stonepages.com. What have we got for you? Well, we have a dig in Micronesia pushing back settlement to 3,400 years ago. And evolution and the Ice Age. Big subject, big answers. Good news. Bronze Age boat, the one that was launched in Cornwall. Well, you'll never know what... Ah, ah, you'll just have to wait and find out what happened to the launch. We have a prehistoric necropolis discovered in Romania and conservation work in Macedonia. Most Upper Paleolithic human burials turn out to be actually quite simple, according to new research, and heading up into the high Himalayas while they're piecing together the prehistory of the region. Farming, it seems that it arrived in Europe with migrants. I love how this one goes backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, so that's our story about this for this month. And we finish off with... A story about Neanderthal demise. It could be earlier than previously thought. Now, a team of archaeologists have uncovered evidence of human burials and early settlement in the Northern Marianas Islands group. Peter Bellwood, Professor of Archaeology at the Australian National University, says Saipan was important because it was one of the first places to be reached by colonising humans. Micronesians and a little further south the Polynesians were migrating at the same time. Originating from China and moving through Taiwan and then the Philippines, they probably reached Tinian around 3,500 years ago. The House of Targa site on Tinian Island dates back 3,400 years. Discoveries of wooden houseposts, a cooking hearth, pottery and other artefacts paint a picture of the island's earliest inhabitants. They lived in houses raised above the coastal tidal area on stilts, very much as people still do in parts of Southeast Asia today. They made a very beautiful red-coated pottery with finely impressed designs as well. The pottery from the site is very similar both to that in northern Luzon in the Philippines and to pottery found south of the equator in the western Pacific, in islands east of New Guinea thought to be part of the ancestry of the Melanesians and Polynesian islanders much further to the south. In the western Pacific islands, migrations were moving through areas that were already settled. There were people in Australia, New Guinea and the Solomon Islands up to 50,000 years ago, at least. Sites on the Marianas Islands appear to be 100 or 200 years older than those south of the equator a passage from the Philippines of almost 2,300 kilometres. There's some debate to whether people travelled directly or went through some islands further to the south, which could have been one of the first movements. We now know that some of the Polynesians possibly reached as far as South America. They didn't settle, though. 
but uh, they certainly had contact right on the other side of the Pacific. Yeah, I just thought I'd throw that one into you. The Polynesians possibly reached as far as South America. This is amazing new research. Now, a lot of people say, oh, we already knew this, but this is the first real hard evidence. And there's a lot going to be going on in the next decade, I would expect, on the peopling of the Americas. It wasn't just coming through on the the ice corridor up in Beringia. It would have been down the uh, seaweed coast, sort of down the the west coast of Americas, down through California and out to South America, but also this movement into South America directly across the Pacific. Quite amazing stuff. Anyway, excitement apart, well, let's move to some more excitement. Research and study of ancient ecosystems and evolution of humans and other organisms over the past 100,000 years using existing knowledge has been carried out, looking at the spread of plant and animal species throughout the warming and cooling of the ice ages, definitely to provide insights into human origins, including the evolution and extinction of Neanderthals. Stuart, this is Dr. Stuart, has examined the rise of the first Europeans along with the Denisovans, which occupied a realm stretching from Siberia to Indonesia, and the important role of these refugia taken by species escaping harsh conditions. As a result of genetic mutations, time spent apart in refugees generally serves to splinter a once unified species. Even once an ice age ends and the different populations begin to intermingle again, they never really merge back together. This could explain why Homo sapiens are still here and our archaic cousins, such as Neanderthals and Denisovans, went extinct some 30,000 years ago. It turns out that Homo sapiens, anyway, inadvertently chose the right refuge. Stewart's claim that, in effect, random climate change caused Neanderthals' demise is supported by work by Lovdalum of the Swedish Museum of Natural History in Stockholm, who has looked at the genes of 13 Neanderthal fossils found in southern Europe and western Asia. All Neanderthal fossils more than 48,000 years old and those found in Asia had a higher level of genetic diversity than later European fossils, suggesting the Neanderthals went through an evolutionary bottleneck where a significant percentage perished. When a bottleneck occurs, the remaining individuals are often a much less diverse group, which makes it more difficult for them to evolve and adapt to the changing environment. Stewart's research can also help predict the future. He says, by studying how organisms have reacted to past climate changes, we can now learn lessons about what may take place due to a human-caused global warming. Now, the Bronze Age boat in Cornwall, I did say I would tell you, a unique project to recreate a 4,000-year-old boat reached its dramatic conclusion on Wednesday the 6th of March as she was launched into the waters of Falmouth Harbour in Cornwall, England. A first for experimental archaeology and a first for the National Maritime Museum in Cornwall, the 50-foot boat weighing five tonnes was reconstructed as part of a collaborative project with the University of Exeter. A team of volunteers led by shipwright Brian Cumbie has spent the last year building a -a one-of-a-kind craft out of two massive oak logs using replica methods and tools such as bronze-headed axes. 
Project Director Professor Robert van der Noort from the University of Exeter said beforehand the launch is the moment of truth for the project. The very nature of experiment means it will won't know for sure what will happen. The boat has already in fact given them a few surprises along the way, so the launch is going to be a leap into the unknown. The vessel, based on one excavated at Ferrobay in the north banks of the Humber up in the north of England back in 1963, will eventually need a crew of about 20 relatively well-muscular men to navigate and crew it. So you're wanting to know what happened. Shall I tell you? It's a bit like sort of giving away the, the final of the World Cup, but I can't, I can't keep it from you. Yes, indeed, they launched the boat and it sailed wonderfully. Uh, if you want to actually see some more footage of it, I'm sure you might already have done this. Type, of course, uh, Bronze Age boat into Google and you'll actually get some fabulous videos. I was watching it uh, live when they were doing the little webcast of the launch. Really, really quite exciting. And it looks absolutely amazing when it's in the water. Well, that's two excitements uh, so far. Uh, can we keep it up? Well, perhaps we can. Let's head on to Romania, where a team of archaeologists by, led by Professor Florin Drasovian made an impressive archaeological discovery on one of the highway excavations between Logoj and Deva in Romania. The 50 tombs discovered near the village of Paru represent the largest Bronze Age necropolis ever found in Romania. In addition, pottery and stone grinders used in funeral rituals, as well as hundreds of homes dating back to the 13th century BCE, were discovered at the site. Research conducted during last summer led to the discovery of more than six sites on other sections of the highway. And now specialists from Banat Museum are studying the finds. The site found at Paru village is one of the most important sites discovered so far. Particularly important are the graves that shed new light on the funerary rituals at the end of the Bronze Age in this region. It was found that the dead were deposited upon pyres where items from their grave goods were also burned. This included a table altar of clay on which they brought funerary offerings, stone grinders and various pots that used to be part of the funeral banquet. So far, it's not been decided whether the site will be open for tourists in the future. I probably don't think so. But most probably, in fact, I would say definitely, the finder will be on display at the Archaeology Museum. Now, let's head on down to Macedonia. Work on preserving the ancient observatory at Kokina, 30 kilometres from Kumanovo in northern Macedonia, will finish this year, the National Museum of Kumanova has announced. Works include the outer wall as well as the astronomical platform, which will be presented to the public so that visitors can understand what happened long time ago. Staniakovsky described this as the director of the National Museum, described this as the final phase of research at the archaeological site, which was in fact discovered in 2001. The Bronze Age site is about 100 metres in diameter and is on two levels underneath the Tatakev Kamen mountain at an altitude of 1,000 metres. Research suggests it was a sacred place and was used to observe celestial objects. Among the most important findings are stone markers used to track the movement of the sun and the moon, the winter and the summer solstices, as well as the equinox. Excavations carried out on the upper platform have uncovered ceramic objects, animal bones, pyramidal weights and fragments of grinding stones. 
Stankowski said that after conservation work is finished, the site will be presented to scientists and experts. And several universities are already negotiating to get involved. I'm just going to have to sort of quickly um, insert this one as well, because this is a a special uh, shout-out, in a way, to uh, four students from Edinburgh University who will be accompanying myself on our examination of our own astronomical site in the Lammermuir Hills, just a few miles from where I live. We'll be actually accompanied on the 21st of March at the equinox by our archaeoastronomer Dougie Scott, who will be showing us exactly what to look for on these uh, ancient astronomical sites. It's a lovely little stone circle called Yadley, and we'll be doing our best and uh, to find out what on earth it was about. Does it actually line up with anything? Is the sun or the moon important? Uh, is it to do with the winter and summer solstices? Or is it just a nice little rockery in the middle of the Lammermuir Hills? We'll be keeping you up to date on that. Back to international news, of course, and pretty exciting news as well. You're able to read more about this from Past Horizons. Um, And, of course, keep up to date with a lot of other news as well. It's about Upper Paleolithic human burials. A new study from the University of Colorado in Denver shows that the earliest human burials in Eurasia varied widely, with some graves lavish and ornate, while the vast majority were fairly plain. We don't know why some of the burials were so ornate, but what's striking is that they post-date the arrival of modern humans in Eurasia by almost 10,000 years. This is according to Julian Real Salvatore, PhD Assistant Professor of Anthropology and lead author of the study. When they appear around 30,000 years ago, some are lavish, but many aren't, and over time the most elaborate ones almost disappear. So the behaviour of humans does not always go from simple to complex, as you would expect. It often waxes and wanes in terms of its complexity, depending on the conditions people lived under. The study, co-authored by Claudine Gravel-Miguel, examined 85 burials from the Upper Paleolithic period and found that men were buried more often than women, infants were buried sporadically, if at all, in later periods, a difference that could, of course, be related to changes in subsistence, climate and ability to keep the actual babies alive, and it also showed that a few ornate burials in Russia... Italy and the Czech Republic, dating back nearly 30,000 years, are anomalies and not representative of most early Homo sapien burial practices. The problem is that these burials are so rare. There's just over three per thousand years in the whole of Eurasia. It becomes difficult to actually draw clear conclusions about what they meant to the societies. In fact, the majority of the burials were fairly plain, that's 82 out of the 85, and included mostly items of daily life as opposed to ornate burial goods. In that way, many are in fact similar to Neanderthal graves. Both early humans and Neanderthals put bodies into pits, sometimes with household items. And during the Upper Paleolithic, this included ornaments worn by the deceased while they were alive, we think of course. When present, ornaments were of stone, teeth or shell, often found on the heads and torsos of the dead, rather on the lower body, consistent of how they were probably worn in life. Some researchers have used burial practices to try and separate modern humans from Neanderthals, but the research is now challenging the orthodoxy that all modern human burials were necessarily more sophisticated than those of Neanderthals. 
Many scientists believe that the capacity for this symbolic behaviour separates humans from Neanderthals, who disappeared around 35,000 years ago. It's thought to be an expression of abstract thinking, but... As research progresses, we're finding evidence that Neanderthals engaged in practices generally considered characteristic of modern humans. This latest study reveals intriguing variation in early human burial customs between 10,000 and 35,000 years ago. And this study raises the question of why there was so much variability in early burial practices. There seems to be little rhyme or reason to any of it. The main point, however, is that we need to be very careful of using exceptional examples of ornate burials to characterise upper Paleolithic burial practices as a whole. Now let's head off to the Himalayas. Well, at least a team of archaeologists from the University of York are off to anyway, as they set off to survey and record mountain archaeology in the Nepalese Himalayas. The Himalayan Exploration and Archaeological Research Team, or HART, will be spending four weeks documenting high-altitude artefact scatters, rock shelters, and formerly inhabited hand-cut cave systems that were used either as settlements and or tombs dating back to the 3rd century BCE. The five-strong team, led by Dr Haley Saul of the Department of Archaeology at York, will be based in the Mustang Valley in the Annapurna Massif, where they will be using digital 3D imaging to survey and record the features as part of a new initiative to piece together the prehistory of the High Himalayas. They'll also trace the way mountain cultures have occupied and adapted to the landscape through time, seeking to set Himalayan archaeology in a broader global framework despite the fact that a lot of important processes, such as domestication and movements of many plants, converge on this area, very little is known about its prehistory. Following a reconnaissance expedition in 2011, it was realised that many archaeological remains in this desiccated environment of the high mountains, while well-preserved, remain unrecorded and undated. There is potential that these remains could contribute hugely to our understanding of significant prehistoric events. The team intend to keep interference of the remains to a minimum and seek to involve local people in the work. As well as the archaeological investigations, the team is working in association with a charity called Community Action Nepal to develop heritage-based initiatives to stimulate local economies in the mountains. Hart plans to stage an an exhibition of archaeology and Nepalese art, including indigenous crafts and Tibetan Thanka art, in York and London in autumn 2013, all profits going to Thanka art schools in Kathmandu. We're actually starting to see a lot more of these projects where archaeology is actually looking about how it can make a difference to the people where it's studying archaeology. I think this is going to be one of the the major things for archaeology in the future, actually making a difference to local populations. Now, this bunch actually certainly did make a difference to the local population. It was these early pesky farmers from the Neolithic. New data gleaned from the teeth of prehistoric farmers and the Mesolithic hunter-gatherers, with whom they briefly overlapped, showed that agriculture was introduced to Central Europe from the Near East by colonisers who brought farming technology with them. 
One of the big questions in European archaeology has been whether farming was brought or borrowed from the Near East. So says Douglas Price, a University of Wisconsin-Madison archaeologist who, with Cardiff University's Dusan Boric, measured strontium isotopes in the teeth of 153 humans from Neolithic burials in the Danube gorges of modern Romania and Serbia. Strontium is found in rocks everywhere and leaves an indelible signature in the teeth which documents an individual's birthplace. The Danube gorges slice through the Carpathian Mountains, which in Stonehenge, uh, Stonehenge, I've got Stonehenge on the mind there, which in the Stone Age was a heavily forested setting rich in field and game, and potentially a very desirable entryway to Europe for highly mobile and expanding Neolithic communities. The new research, explains Price, suggests another route across the Black Sea or up the east coast of Bulgaria to the Danube for farmers moving into Europe. This contrasts with movement by sea across the Mediterranean or Aegean, which is in fact the standard picture. Price notes there is some evidence for the importation of early agriculture along the shores of the Mediterranean and in Central Europe, but elsewhere in Europe it's not clear whether it was colonists or locals adopting the practice. An interesting find of the study is that 8,000 years ago, more women than men were identified as foreigners. One possible explanation is that women became the Neolithic farming communities as part of ongoing social exchanges. Now, our last story here. It's all about Neanderthals. And remember all that stuff I was saying about them dying out 30,000 years ago? Well, perhaps that's not true. An international team led by study co-author Jesus Jorda of the Spanish National University in Madrid challenges the hypothesis that Neanderthals persisted in southern Iberia and were contemporary with modern humans who had just arrived. According to new radiocarbon dates, the Neanderthals died out around 45,000 years ago, 10,000 years earlier than had previously been proposed. A precise chronology is crucial to understanding what factors played a role in the Neanderthals' demise and the degree to which Neanderthals and humans interacted and possibly interbred. The researchers applied a new dating technique to bone samples taken from sites in southern Iberia, including two previously considered to have been the last refugees of the Iberian Neanderthal. To rule out possible intrusions by carnivores which might contaminate the samples, they selected mammal bones bearing clear signs of human manipulation, such as cut marks and marks of hammering or intentional breakage. Horda points out that more work will have to be done and more sites and samples will need to be examined before a truly strong case can be made for abandoning the existing uh, theory of humans and Neanderthals at least coexisting in the same space at the same time. But if confirmed through additional research, the new hypothesis has enormous implications for theories regarding the reason for Neanderthal extinction. The new research supports the view of archaeologist Olaf Joris of the Romano-Germanic Central Museum in Mainz in Germany, who concludes that the most recent Neanderthals probably lived around 42,000 years ago. Other archaeologists are not so convinced. Paul Pettit, an archaeologist at Durham University in England, says that we should not get too carried away over results that amount to just a few real carbon dates from two sites. I think, actually, to be fair, that's exactly what the researchers are saying. Though we are at the very limits of our ability to use C14, when you get really back to about 48,000, 50,000 years ago, 
C14 is almost useless. Uh, so there's a lot more work to be done on this, but it could be absolutely groundbreaking. There are lots and lots of lovely new stories, by the way, up on Past Horizons. If you just type in Past Horizons PR, then you'll find yourself uh, with a wealth of amazing stories, including some new articles by people that we met at the World Archaeology Conference. Uh, Mataraka, the Earth Mother Goddess from the Sami in uh, Northern Europe, or perhaps uh, a story about a dead donkey. If you like stories about dead donkeys, get yourself along to Past Horizons just now. It will be amazing what you find. Nearly losing my voice. That has uh, been a great fun podcast. Can I just uh, remind people that more can always be found at Stone Pages? That's news.stonepages.com. So thank you very much for listening to Archaeology News. Um, I'm going to get myself packed up, get my toothbrush, and uh, head off down to London. So until then, I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.